Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the WTF1 That Time When podcast, the podcast that looks to give you all the weird and wonderful stories from F1 past. I'm Jess, your host for today, and as per usual, I'm joined by F1 Wikipedia and all-round nerdy boys. The nerdy boys. (laughs) We had a good time with WWE, didn't we? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm joined, of course, by Tommy. Hi. And Dan. Hello. How are you doing today, boys? We're good. We're, yeah, very ready. Good. The nerdy boys are ready to nerd. <laughs> I'm to- that's totally becoming your guys' new nickname now. Yeah. I'm going to get Matt to make sure it's included in any future That Time When podcast. Good times. Um, so this week we're looking ahead to the British Grand Prix. And with that in mind, today we're going to be talking about that time when Michael Schumacher won the British Grand Prix from the pit lane. Yeah. Just Michael Schumacher things. Yeah. I feel like only he could have done such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was a pretty bonkers race, which we'll, we'll go into, but another one of Michael Schumacher's sort of devious moments, I guess, where he pushed the boundaries of what is legal and what is borderline cheating, I guess. So as you say, classic, classic Schumacher style. More like classic Ferrari, I feel, than Schumacher at this point in time as well, because yeah. I, I'm not sure Schumacher was entirely... Had anything to do with this, but I suppose we'll go into that a bit later. That good one, Danny, because you're gonna you save us from all the Schumacher fans that are now very angry at what we've just said. But um, so as always, let's let's give a bit of context here, shall we? Shall we look a little bit into what uh, F1 was was like in 1998? Give us a little bit of an overview. Uh, yeah, so 98, it was uh, the first. If you remember our Hereth Hereth podcast, uh, which was us three again, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah. It was indeed. It um, was. So you, so we were talking about 1997 that year. This was the year, surprisingly, after 1997. But there was a big regulation change after 97. So um, we had grooved tires for the first time, which was a very controversial thing at the time. Uh, am I right in saying the cars got thinner as well? They weren't yeah. as wide. Yeah, which they got a bit. I seem to remember Jack Villeneuve getting irate over that. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they basically brought the wheels in closer to the bodywork and i think they made the bodywork slightly boxier as well but the whole the whole aim of it was to slow the cars down because obviously they've been getting faster and faster and whenever that happens in f1 they tend to like to go hang on a minute we need to stop this and <laughs> make the cars slower. stop having so much fun yeah yeah and as uh normally is the case with regulation changes as well a certain adrian newey built the best car i guess you'd say because yeah. uh mclaren it had a bit of a rough patch in the mid-90s where they weren't particularly strong, you could argue, especially after the dominance of Senna and Prost. But yeah, 1998 was the year. They'd, they'd just won... Uh, they'd won a few races in 97, but they definitely weren't title contenders. No. Whereas 1998, they very much were the team to beat. Yeah, yeah. Basically, they, they started the season with the car. It was almost literally untouchable they won the first race of the year they lapped the entire field um the second race they dominated as well but then i think after the second race of the year they had the it was discovered that they had like this third brake pedal yeah which uh, basically locked up the drivers could lock up the inside wheel in a corner which gave them a huge advantage but then that got banned and that sort of brought them a little bit closer to the other teams and by other teams Michael Schumacher yeah very very much that that era where it was for a lot of his career Michael Schumacher versus a dominant team 
especially the early part of his career, he was, you know... A one-man band. A one-man band, yeah. Right, so, British Grand Prix. Classic British style. Weather wasn't too great, was it? No. Uh, yeah, like you say, classic British weather. Absolutely chucked it down all weekend. But it wasn't It wasn't apocalyptic rain like we've seen at um, Silverstone before. There's, a lot of the cars started on intermediates, and that was when intermediates, you could actually use intermediates in yeah. in race conditions. It was It was a classic kind of uh race of that era where mclaren looked pretty comfortable and it looked like they were just gonna run away with the whole race because you know mclaren were just so dominant in those conditions yeah i mean you think wet conditions that's normally michael schumacher's you know that's his his domain but when mclaren were winning so easily in the wet it gives you an idea of just how good that car was and how much downforce it had that they could basically destroy him yeah i found that weird that when i was watching it back um as soon as you see a wet race you think oh what's michael schumacher done in this but it's very surprised me to see that michael schumacher yeah just had no answer for mclaren at all until the rain got a lot heavier so that was that was kind of where the first difficulties came really wasn't it the the conditions were changing quite a lot so people were switching tact um throughout right they keep switching to full wets or unsure whether to keep on inters yeah it was one of those tricky conditions where it was sort of like borderline between intermediates and wets and people didn't know whether to i think at donnington was it donnington in 93 where senna won and he had about seven pit stops because he kept pitting for inters and then wets and then inters then wets and you were just trying to be on the right tire it was similar to that where no one really knew what the best approach was and people tried to risk it but um it was even for a wet race it wasn't that chaotic until near the end of the race when things started to get we started losing cars didn't we yeah so david coulthard uh went off he was on intermediates and he was actually catching hakkinen and he uh went off which uh i don't know about you dan but i feel that was quite a common theme in the i seem to remember quite a few races where coulthard was sort of going well in the wet and then had like a trip across the gravel or 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 went off or something i just i just feel like every time he was he he had a chance to close the championship up to Hakkinen or every time the commentators were like, oh, this is David Coulthard's chance, he'd kind of bottle it. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't he, didn't he spin out whilst uh, passing a back marker? Yeah. He, which he, is annoying, isn't it? For, yeah. any, for any, I mean, if we remember the, uh, where was it, Brazil last year? Oh, triggered. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was actually catching Hakkinen, so he was a lot more comfortable at this stage of the race. But yeah, look, looking like an easy McLaren 1-2, the rain came, Coulthard went off. Um, at this point, Hakkinen uh, had a 50-second lead to Schumacher, so it looked like yeah, a, it looked like he pe- had the race in the bag, really. People complaining about the distance between like the Mercedes and anybody else. Like, I don't think, have we, have we quite had, yeah, we've had quite a gap before, haven't we? But 50 seconds? I think, yeah, it was quite common in the, it, everyone, you know, has rose-tinted glasses, but it wasn't that discommon when you weren't trying to save engines and things for people to win races by yeah. 40, minutes. 50 seconds and minutes sometimes, sometimes laps. Yeah. Especially in the wet where gaps do tend to be exaggerated a bit. Especially exactly, when yeah. There's, uh, yeah. But even, even Hakkinen was finding the conditions tricky because he had a trip across the gravel. He was lucky in that really, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he, hit, well, he hit damaged his grass. car a bit, but yeah. he didn't spin or go out or anything. Yeah, because like yeah. Coulthard got caught by the gravel trap and that was it, game over. But when you rewatch the Hakkinen slide, he goes across the grass through the gravel trap and it's almost like he's floating across the gravel 
and then across the grass again and back back on. It's like it's very. There's, a, there's always this weird thing about gravel tracks which you don't really see now. Whereas they used to be completely soft when it was dry, but as soon yeah. as it rained, they almost went like solid. Yeah. And it was quite common to see cars just sort of skating across the top of them. Yeah, really, really strange to see. And and well, as you say, damage was incurred, but it didn't he matter. He was still in the race. Lead, yeah. Exactly that. So anyway, the gap's closing. And yeah, because because Hakkinen's made a mistake, but at, the, at this point. Uh, the conditions are getting so bad that, un- understandably, the drivers are uh, drivers are going off left, right, and centre. Uh, the the race lead has gone off in, you know, like Dan was saying, a pretty dominant and decent car. So it kind of suggests that conditions are too bad to be racing. So uh, the safety car came out and obviously closed Mika Hakkinen's fifty second lead right back up to nothing. Yeah, but that's when the controversy begins. Indeed, indeed. So, obviously, everyone listening, I'm sure, understands that you're not allowed to pass under safety car conditions or under yellow flag conditions. No. So, and this was the, this was a bit weird because nobody seems to have seen the incident. It all comes as a bit of a surprise later on once once a certain driver is given a certain penalty. So, yeah. what what exactly was the incident for which Schumacher was penalised? Uh, I seem to think it was. Lap, lap 43, wasn't it? There was, Alex Wurtz was a lap down. And I think as as the race restarted, Schumacher passed him, but got ahead of him before they got to the white line. Right. Uh, no, see, I watched that race. And that, that the weird thing is that um, is what the commentators thought had happened. But there was another Benetton in front, which was Fisichella. And the weird thing is Schumacher had passed Wurtz behind the safety car. Um, completely unseen by the cameras. Oh, right. So he was behind um, another Benetton, but ahead of Alex Wurtz in his Benetton. Uh, and then when uh, the race restarted, obviously they make a big thing of you're not allowed to pass before you get to the finish line. And part of the uh, confusion and controversy was the fact that people thought the penalty was for Michael Schumacher passing Fisichella. Uh, before the line but in fact it was something that had happened long before whilst they were behind the safety car and there was no recollection of it that it was probably in that weird phase that, where that comes out and yeah. everyone's sort of going at different speeds because the safety car's out and he's yeah it was a lot less organized in those days and even though we love to have a little complaint about tv directors in our normal race podcast it was a lot worse back then and you know it just didn't get shown at all so the race Completely. Continues. The race continues and we've got this epic battle between Schumacher and Hakkinen and everyone is unaware that that this the controversy has happened and the stewards are busy. Not like now where, you know, things come up under investigation. I don't, you know, they didn't have the kind of advanced TV graphics like we do now where no. it pops up as soon as they're investigating. You, the commentators just seem to have found out from word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember um, rewatching, rewatching this Grand Prix. You have James Allen going, "I'm in the Ferrari garage, and they've just been handed a piece of paper. I'm trying to get eyes on it, but I can't see it right now." Exactly. And, which you just can't makes, imagine that now, can you? Can you? Ima- yeah. And I mean, it kind of makes you think. Actually, do you know what? Maybe we demand a little bit too much. Yeah, this was only twenty years ago. So exactly. It's not like it's the sixties or something yeah. like that. But but that's just how it was. So anyway, race is continuing, and Schumacher is starting to look a lot more comfortable because obviously he doesn't have the same damage as Hakkinen does. Yeah, I think he's because it's the conditions are a lot worse, Schumacher is just in his element where suddenly we're starting to see the real Michael Schumacher of, you know, 
where he was called the Rainmaster, and he's just absolutely suddenly he's got a win right there. Yeah, in front he's got of him a win well. in front of him from seemingly nothing, and suddenly all the pressure is on Hakkinen. He goes off again. He, he goes Hakkinen? off again, and that's where the the big drama happens. So Schumacher cuts Hakkinen's lead right down to about a second, and then uh, Mika Hakkinen makes a mistake going into Beckett's, and again spins goes sort of sliding over the uh, the grass rejoins but once once Schumacher is in the lead he is just looking extremely comfortable and untouchable yeah and you think that's the race one really yeah yeah he built up a lead of I think it was 20 seconds or something in 10 laps I got yeah 20 seconds in 10 laps which is that's a lot just Schumacher things yeah but then we get to lap 58 two laps to go as you said looks signed sealed delivered for Schumacher and then you hear on the commentary Murray Walker going crazy because they can see that there's been a penalty awarded. And yeah, and this is where they think it's potentially for him passing Fisichella yeah. or they they don't really they know. Got a clue, have but they? but yeah, the penalty was for him passing Verts behind the safety car. Um but even the Ferrari mechanics are protesting and are a bit confused by it. And the but the problem as well is because that what they were complaining about is that it should have been delivered so this is almost like 30 minutes after this proposed yeah incidents happened that they've then delivered the penalty and we've only got two laps slow (laughs) who'd have thought it i mean at least you know certain things don't change but with only two laps to go serving a stop go which you have to do in three laps which you have to do in three laps with him being given the penalty what i mean what else are you going to do yeah so the commentators were talking about the, they they could have given him if he didn't serve it he could get a ten second time penalty on the end of his time which yeah. is weird because it, be you obviously seconds. waste a lot of time in the pit lane I think no I think what happened what with the ten second penalty is what the stewards argued afterwards that they were supposed to give him but I guess uh, the, what, the rules yeah. the rules are if you don't serve your penalty during the race you, it, it then gets added onto your time yes. but again it was all a bit confusing and no one really knew so then you yeah. saw Schumacher pushing like crazy but, I mean, you'd to try argue, and open up a much bigger gap over Hakkinen so yeah. that he could, he yeah, could maintain his penalty, lead a stop go penalty a 10 second stop go penalty it's not like a drive through now which will no. cost you 20 seconds that's a good 35-40 second delay which is weird yeah. that they just add 10 seconds onto your race time because you'd go well yeah, I'll that's just what Dan the sa- Dan's saying that the 10 seconds was what they decided that they would maybe give to Schumacher after uh, the race okay. because he didn't because yeah. he didn't serve his penalty properly yeah I, I mean we're all confused and we're looking at it in hindsight so yeah. god knows what it must have been like down actually at the racetrack yeah so, so so anyway so Schumacher starts pushing like crazy trying to pull out an even bigger lead so that the any penalty that's applied to him won't affect his positioning but then on the last lap he comes into the pits yeah it's it's classic schumacher and like you say schumacher ferrari move where they'll do something and argue it later technically we came in for the penalty but also technically he crossed the finish line before he even got to his pit box thereby winning the race so that's that's the the thing with it he thought i'll serve the penalty now ferrari were like yeah they, Ferrari were out waiting for him to have his 10 second penalty but they were they were waiting for him for like two laps weren't they yeah apparently Schumacher claimed his radio wasn't working properly okay ah, yeah okay. sure alright <laughs> good one yeah but me yeah, too my so, radio's not working properly either that's why I'm but what a weird thing for the crowd so they're obviously waiting for Schumacher to come around and cross the finish line <laughs> uh, this is you know days before Twitter and everything as well so they probably won't have a clue that he's even got a penalty 
you'd be pissed, wouldn't you? Yeah. If you bought grandstand seats on the start finish straight, you'd see the win across the line. Pissed, I'd be because yeah, Schumacher's gone into the pits and (laughs) see ya. Like like most races, like most races, your the finish line is a lot earlier than the start line from the start of the grid. So as he comes into the pits, he's already crossed the line to win the race and has been declared the winner because he's passed the finish line for the final time. Then he goes in, sits in his pit box and waits for 10 seconds, even though it's completely irrelevant and doesn't matter, and then drives out. And But when he drives out, he's still going at like race speed. After he comes out, he's like still, I mean, maybe not as I feel quick, like that's but him. he is like, he's pushing as if he still has another lap to go. Knowing Schumacher, I feel like he's probably just doing everything like that to just... So make, technically, yeah, so he's like, I oh, well, maybe I thought out. the line was further, so I did the penalty, and yeah. uh, he, you know, it's one of those, like you said, argue later. Yeah. So anyway, so and it was it's really funny because again, you can hear it was it's um, Murray Walker and Martin Brundle on the commentary team, and Martin's like, mm, I'm not sure if he's going to be given this. Like, we have to wait for official, and Murray's like, No, I'm I'm positive. The TV graphics come up. It says Michael Schumacher's won by 22 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to go with that until someone tells me different. And it's just no one really knows what's going on. And and then afterwards, obviously. Both Ferrari and McLaren aren't very happy for different reasons, and they're both protesting penalties because, again, it seems like even though a penalty was awarded, nothing really happened. No one's really clear on exactly why the penalty was awarded and even what the penalty was, because that's what Ferrari were arguing, right? That they they were... they were told misinformation, yeah. miscommunication. Also, was it a stop go or was it a time penalty? And also to receive a penalty decision on a piece of paper yeah. via an official that's probably a bit soggy because it's pouring down with rain. <laughs> we couldn't read it. Sorry, it's smashed. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> how how does that happen? Like, yes, yeah, so a, late on in the race. Such a critical decision. And in the end, they removed all penalty. Yeah, so... The initial thing went, so basically it went to, unsurprisingly, lots of protests. So Schumacher was declared the winner by 22 seconds, which is him just crossing the line before he's even pitted. Ferrari, Ferrari's argument was that if you get a penalty, you're meant to be given it within 25 minutes. And, and this was 31 this minutes. Was 31 minutes uh, so a lot longer. Uh, obviously, their other argument is we can't serve it because... It's the end of the race. Yeah. They did apply a 10 second time penalty to Schumacher but then they, initially they and, then, were, and then decided, oh no, we won't do that. And then, yeah, because it because you then they realised that you can only do that if the incident has happened with, within the last 12 laps. Yeah. And it was further, it was yeah. obviously in the middle of the race. So again, taking too long. Uh, then McLaren obviously protested and said, well, they've just cheated this how how is this fair you know this guy has got a penalty which is deserving of a penalty you you can't overtake people under the safety car and he's not really served any kind of penalty but then that got thrown out as well and yeah in, and in the end it got so bad that actually the three stewards that had served on that race handed in their licenses yeah they were um they were summoned to the world motorsport council um and basically had to give all their evidence as to what, like their process and everything. And this included Charlie Whiting and Herbie Blash, who had to go and argue on the case of the stewards and the race direction to the FIA, what had gone wrong. Um, 
and I found here that they concluded that the stewards had made several important mistakes, including applying the wrong rule to the situation and failing to communicate their decision as laid down in the regulations. So uh, the three stewards uh, accepted the blame and voluntarily, in inverted commas, <laughs> surrendered their licences. I mean, that's embarrassing. Ouch. I know the and McL- and- McLaren was also refunded its fees for the appeal because they'd been appealing a penalty that was incorrectly given. So in that yeah. sense, they were giving McLaren something, but it's not what they felt was right. But they admitted there was a mistake. So, I mean, the Vettel uh, Montreal penalty was controversial enough, but I mean, this is on another level. The fact that, you know, the stewards even messed up so badly that they handed in their licenses and yeah, yeah like you say voluntarily i feel like that was a punishment if anything yeah i think it was just to save their their graces and the um and charlie whiting basically argued that the race was so chaotic with everything that they were under immense amounts of pressure to do <laughs> which things is which like, i mean i mean only I'm cold and wet <laughs> <laughs> only only nine cars finished that race john alacy retired from fourth late on with reliability issues which makes me sad electrical yeah one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven cars went out with um either in an accident or spun off that's fairly standard in a dry race for 1993 (laughs) yeah i mean this is true (laughs) we don't get retirements now but yeah i mean they only had nine cars to look after so what were what what were they what were they worrying about very 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 strange incident anyway stewarding decisions were far more uncommon back then though it wasn't like now where you get two or three things being looked at every race it was kind of like the stewards probably just sitting back with their feet up Having a, having a cup of tea and watching the race. I mean, you would when the weather was that bad outside, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, how, that's how I'd be stewarding the race anyway. The most British of yeah. stewarding. Anyway, Put the kettle on. Another example of a um, questionable Schumacher win, well, that's but the th- still a win. Uh, that's the thing. In There's an excellent book by Adam Parr, who used to work at Williams, in which he sits down and has conversations about strategy and management with Ross Braun. Um, and in that book, Ross Braun said that during his time managing teams his basically his ethos with the FIA was to always be as transparent and clear as possible with them about absolutely everything so that when stuff like this came up where it was a little bit 50 50 the FIA would have no reason to suspect that they were trying to pull the wool over their eyes and think oh well Ferrari they've told us the truth about all of these things so they're telling <laughs> the truth about now? this thing yeah wow that is i mean that's clever uh, yeah i mean it's, to it's be honest. happened with other things as well like in malaysia the following year where they ferrari had a were disqualified for running illegal barge boards and then later oh, reinstated course, yeah. um where ross Braun basically managed to prove that that even though they were illegal it was somehow not worthy of a penalty and it's I mean, this- it just classic it's absolutely brilliant management it's good though because i mean this is a bit of a tangent but this is what i used to i used to be a teacher's pet at school right i used to suck up to my teachers so hard (laughs) that whenever i would get in trouble they would just let me off every single time because they would be like oh yeah but she's a good girl really so it does like psychologically it does it does work i mean if like mclaren and williams aren't doing that and they're trying to like hide their like mclaren with their extra brake pedal like hiding that from the fia then if they're in that situation they're gonna think oh well they lied to us about this yeah what aren't they telling us this time? Whereas yep. Ferrari's approach was the opposite, which worked for them, obviously. Yeah, you've got to know how to play the game. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a similar topic that we had in the last uh, race podcast where we said, you know, why, why do they speak to the teams and drivers? Because they're always biased, I guess. They, they should be making a decision just from what has happened, yeah. not, not, not uh, listening yeah. to 
Ross Braun go, well, technically we didn't break the rules because blah, 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 and just feeding them strange yeah. information and sort of almost, like you say, like a courtroom convincing them that they're not guilty even when they are guilty. Yeah. I mean, I find it very hard to... I mean, at the time, I didn't like Ferrari and Schumacher at all, but looking back now, I find it very hard to be annoyed at them for doing everything in their power to get the best result for themselves sort of thing. Yeah, I look, I look back on it now, and I, I kind of love it, to be honest. I love those sort of little... Dramas. It's what it's makes drama, F1 F1. It's, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know if we'll, ever, we'll do one of these on it, but it's, it's like Alonso when he did that thing where he waited in the pits just the right amount of time oh. it's just things it, things like that I, I love it i think yeah. it's, it's such a yeah it is unsporting but it it gives you something to talk about and it, it just makes the whole drama of f1 you like people just pushing I, almost too far to win it's, i guess this funny. is the argument of why people uh don't really like the idea of autonomous racing because you wouldn't get that if it was autonomous racing like you wouldn't have those people, like the human flaws and passions yeah. and everything that that. Oh, did you see do- what AI number seven did there? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it makes the- cool before the stewards like some sort of hologram. <laughs> <laughs> what would the hologram be though? Like, would it be like a driver? Let me just. It'd yeah. be like uh, Hatsune Miku, that Japanese <laughs> imaginary singer thing. Yeah. Jesus Christ! I mean, let we, me yeah. just download my sympathy data as I plead for my innocence of cheating or something. It's not going to work really, is it? Yeah, I don't think. I don't know, we'll see. But there we go. What do, what do you guys think, listening? Do you think that Schumacher deserved a penalty or do you think it was right and should have been awarded the win? Let us know by tweeting us using the hashtag WTF1podcast or send us a DM, either on uh, Instagram or on Twitter. And um, let us know what topics you'd like us to cover next in the in the upcoming That Time When series because we always love hearing what suggestions you've got because sometimes you guys think of stories that we have completely missed. Yeah, we've had some good feedback, so... So, good. Ag- again, using the hashtag WTF1podcast or tweet us or DM us, whatever you want to do because we would love to hear from you. And as always, do give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on because that really gives us not only a good idea of whether you're enjoying these podcasts or not because you might be hating them and we're just sat in a room here just chatting amongst boiling hot yeah it's quite hot (laughs) now it's summer um not that you guys care about that world's smallest violin coming out right now but also um it gives us a really good boost to let more and more f1 fans hear about this podcast and hopefully learn something which is always what we're trying to do just learning's fun learning learning is fun learning with the nerdy boys that's going to be the catchphrase (laughs) can we just just retile the podcast learning learning with the nerdy boys Learning with the F1 nerdy boys. I love that. Oh, who, who, who thought of that time when? We should have come up with that ages ago. Terrible. But there we go. All right. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thank you to Tommy and Dan for sharing their wisdom and their knowledge on uh, the You're 1998 welcome. British Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoy Silverstone this weekend. We will be there and we will be watching and hope you will be too. Um, and we will see you next time for the next That Time When podcast. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Ta-ra. Ta-ra. <laughs> I just, every time I'm like, how do I sign off without just going, bye, bye? It's like an automatic response. Yeah. Bottle. Um. <laughs> <laughs>